This podcast is brought to you by Alliance Motor Auctions. Has your car shit itself? Then you've got to go with Alliance. It's the easiest way to buy a quality car at a very competitive price. Located in Moorbank, New South Wales. Call 02-9822-7200 or visit www.allianceauctions.com.au South Coast Window Furnishings. Have your window furnishings shit themselves? Then you've got to get in touch with SCWF. They service the south coast of New South Wales from Wollongong to Bermagui. Give Jamie a call for a free quote on 0408 812 007 or like them on Facebook at South Coast Window Furnishings. Elite Sports Physiotherapy. Has your back or another part of your body shit itself? Then look no further than ESP. Established in 2006, Elite Sports Physiotherapy provides physiotherapy and massage services to the people of Melbourne. Located on the mezzanine level, 13-15-1 Freshwater Place in Southbank, Melbourne. Give them a call on 03-8640-0328 or visit elitesportsphysio.com.au today. Also, special thanks to verse.com.au for putting the finishing touches on this podcast. Cheers. Hello there. Thanks for listening. My guest this week is award-winning British stand-up comedian, writer and podcaster, Carl Donnelly. Carl and I sat down, we had a bit of a chat about his early life uh, of shoplifting and experimenting with drugs. Uh, We talked about how he started out in the comedy scene and how a psychedelic drug helped him onto the right path. This is Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. Carl Donnelly, thanks for taking it easy with me today. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you. That's the way. Uh, do you want? To, I mean, I feel bad that you've come over to talk to me <laughs> as an amateur dramatic group has started practicing singing outside my window. <laughs> well, I was going to talk about how we're in Edinburgh Fringe. We're yeah. in Edinburgh at the moment recording this for Fringe. And a group of students practicing their, you know, warming up their vocal courts outside yeah. your house <laughs> isn't that weird for kind of fits the, the yeah. vibe of this this podcast for I where we are so. also this that's a good that's a, a weird the, the, i mean it's, it's quite a coincidence but that sums up the fringe perfectly yeah do you know what i mean Did, that, you didn't organize uh, no I didn't for you organize to say 20 posh kids <laughs> to do vocal warm-ups outside my front room <laughs> You might be able to hear them every now and again if you're listening. You might be able to hear la, 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 la. Oh, there they go. There they go. Losers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, welcome, mate. Uh, here we are in Edinburgh, yep. Fringe. Uh, how, are you having a good time so far? I am having a good time so far. I've had quite a relaxed, mm. chilled one. <laughs> <laughs> it's just got loud. I'm assuming that's, that's being picked up on the mic. Surely. It's quite, I mean, it, it'd be pleasant if we weren't trying to have a conversation, yeah, wouldn't yeah. it? Um, but I'm having a really nice time so far. Mm. Um, yeah, I've, I've actually been very chilled, but I got really drunk the night before last, and that sort of has had a slight <laughs> knock-on effect yeah. of, you know, we're going into the last week, mm. and I've realised I just need to calm it down a bit. You've been up here quite a few times, so you've kind of learned, you've told me that you've learned over the years how to handle the month, and getting drunk too many times is something you're trying to avoid. So yeah. Were you disappointed the other night when you... 
Well, no, it was there. it was for a reason. I've been doing these weird late night séance shows. <laughs> that is just a joke thing that we sort of did as a you know as a side for my normal show. Yeah, and I think you've summoned a, the spirits. Today. Yeah, <laughs> these are. <laughs> I mean, I've got maybe a minute or two left of me before I shout out the window <laughs> like Scrooge on Christmas Day. Um, I um, yeah, so it's listed as a drunken séance. So I sort mm. of. On the first night, I felt obligated to get really drunk, mm-hmm. and just and so yeah, we were just we got a bit carried away. <laughs> so I felt really rough yesterday, and then had to go and do it again last night. But I did that thing on day two, and you know you got a bit of a hangover, you can't mm. physically get as drunk. Your mm. body just doesn't allow it. Yeah. So last night I was actually quite yeah, you know, I was a little bit drunk, but nice. So yeah, it's sort of easing down. By mm. day five, I'll just be sober as a judge. <laughs> Now, you uh, grew up in Tooting, London. Yes. To Irish parents. Yes. How was life as a child for little Carl growing up in Tooting? Which I love. When you said it was Tooting, that is... Tooting's such a great name a funny for a word, suburb. Because I, because I can't pronounce it, which is weird. Because I dropped my T. Yes, I've, because I've got a l- l- working-class yeah. London accent most of the time. So, it's Tooting. Tooting is how I yeah. say where I grew up, which isn't actually... <laughs> so, I just tooting, you're Tooting back and Tooting Broadway. Yeah. I grew up in Tooting Broadway. It's fa- it was famous as a TV show called Citizen Smith from the 70s. Okay. And it uh, had Robert Lindsay played a guy called Wolfie Smith, who was like this crazy <laughs> socialist. Yeah. And it was all about freedom for Tooting. He was trying to sort of create a breakaway part of London. Hmm. And it, so Tooting became quite famous in the 70s for that. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's cool. It was growing up there. It was, like, it was a really nice little, you know, like almost immigrant outpost in London. It was mm. sort of everyone's parents were from somewhere else. And it was, yeah, it was lovely. So when did your parents come to there? Well, so my dad was actually born. His parents came over just before he was born. Yeah. So he was born in London, but he did, he's one of them people that basically was born into an Irish family surrounded by Irish people in London, in that little part of London where the Tooting, like, was like, there was a few parts too in Kilburn. Um, are two parts that were basically almost all Irish from like the sort of yeah. 50s mm. or whatever. I mean, what's like, yeah, my parents, his parents would have come over bef- just around the time of the war, I mm. think. My dad was born in 39. So he just grew up, he basically grew up thinking he, and claiming to be Irish, even though he was born <laughs> in London. Well, being surrounded by just Irish people in Tooting, yeah. he would have probably, would have just felt like Irish. Yeah. Ireland. So my mum my, my came over in the 60s. And my dad was born in London, but just, he, he, he would say he's Irish, <laughs> um, even though he's got a London accent. Well. <laughs> but just because that's all he knew, really. So yeah. like, I was so, it's that weird one where I, you know, I was always aware that sort of I'm English. Yeah. But they would tell me otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was cool. Like, yeah, my mum came over sort of right, you know, in the late 60s when it was a lot of Irish people were coming over there yeah. as well. And she, I've seen you impersonate her on stage. She yes. sounds like your proper Irish. She's a proper Irish mammy. <laughs> Just, yeah, obsessed with what everyone thinks about her. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, she, <laughs> she, if she knew I was talking about her on stage, she'd be livid. <laughs> but she just has, wouldn't, she'd never find out. She can't, find, she can't use the internet. And she never bothers coming to watch. So, so actually, it's such a, I'm safe. Uh, um, were you a well-behaved boy in uh, growing up around the... Because it was like a housing, like we call it, like housing commission. Well, flat, it's, it's actually it was a it was a it was flat. It was a flat. Yeah. Uh, you'd say apartment probably. Mm. And it, but it was two. Like we had the bottom flat. There was a family living upstairs. So it was only two flats. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they were private rented flats. But my parents, because of their income, mm. had uh, a lot of housing benefits. Yeah. And, 
and they'd go through phase, they went through phases of not you know both there was periods where they were both unemployed periods where, where they were just getting like, sort of relatively low paid work there was yeah. a period when they broke up when I lived with my dad in a yeah he was that was full on dull right. <laughs> dull yeah. times yeah it was, uh, that was a weird time but it's, yeah but I wasn't to be honest I was really I was well behaved around the house I was always quite cool with my parents mm. but out of the house I was quite naughty <laughs> <laughs> I got into sort of I hung out with quite a lot of older pe- older kids, yeah, and I got into like shoplifting a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, I got really into shoplifting actually, yeah. quite sort of kleptomaniac style. When I was yeah. about probably eleven, I went through a real phase of just nicking stuff. Right. Yeah, and just that the rush of that challenge of trying yeah, to that get f- away that, with it. I think so. Yeah, I remember my cousin was the first one to dare me to do it. We were in Ireland, uh, and we visit because we used to go to Ireland every summer. Like for the whole summer holidays, mm. which ruined summer. <laughs> so the last place you want to spend it is in a wet Irish country town. But uh, my my two of my cousins had got into shoplifting, and then they kept daring me to do it and mm. saying like, "Just do this," you know. And then um, we went into a shop one day with them, and they were on the way in. They were like, "Just nick something," and I was like, "I'm not going to nick something." Then that we came out, and uh, and I'd nicked loads of stuff, and not even they'd seen it. So it was almost yeah. like I'd gone look. I can do this yeah. if I want. I'm actually better than you <laughs> yeah. to it. And then from that, I just loved it. So I got really, I was a proper little thief. Yeah. Yeah, stole loads of stuff. And then, yeah, then I got into quite naughtier things like drinking and drugs and all that. It's quite mm. young. I got into my early teens. I was quite getting a bit carried away. Yeah, right. Mm. So do, how do you look back on that now? Like you were... Glorious days. Yeah. <laughs> Best days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. I don't know. I don't regret it. All. I think yeah. it was quite. You know, everyone's teens are different, isn't it? Yeah. I think I had a more entertaining teens than if I would have spent it just knuckling down and doing my homework. And all that. <laughs> not that that's not what you should. I mean, people that I would have always advise people to yeah. just do the actual. You know, later in life you'll need mm. in you know sort of qualifications <laughs> and stuff. But you know, I was lucky enough that. I sort of managed to scrape through school mm. and do all right. I was clever enough that I could always blag an exam. Yeah. But I never did enough work to get the really good grades to get into like a good uni or anything. Yeah. And it's still like, obviously we had breakfast this morning, you stole all of it, so that was... Yeah, I did. <laughs> I'm still a, still a massive klepto, <laughs> so it's fine. I've not shoplifted in so long. It's <laughs> probably a good thing. Well, I know it's a good thing, but there is part of me now and again that just thinks, I wonder, wonder if I've still got the gift. <laughs> Just do a loop of a shot. Bring it, I'll bring it back afterwards. I'll just tell him yeah. that I was just practicing. Do you want to put, we'll pause this. You go over to the cafe across the road. Cafe is hard. Come back with a brownie from behind the glass. That would be oh, impressive. That would, <laughs> <laughs> that would take me a while. That's would infiltrate. Yeah. <laughs> Get to know him. Get a fire alarm going or something, yeah. That'll work. Mm. Um, growing up in that area yeah. and having that you know, little bit of a thief and all that sort of stuff, <laughs> what, what sort of job did you have in mind when you were getting into your teens and... Did you, I, did you think I had no idea I was never ever somebody who had that sort of forward thinking mm. didn't know like what I wanted to do didn't even know what A-levels I wanted to do which what, what would you call A-levels we have our exam things work you have 16 year olds do GCSEs oh yeah you do like 10 of those right different topics and then you pick three to do A-levels which is yeah. like you are 16 to 18 yeah and they normally sort of start steering you towards what you're going to do at university mm. sort um, of similar in Australia yeah. okay so yeah we did, I remember like I had no idea. And my GCSEs, I actually did all right in my GCSEs just through pure, like, blagged it, essentially. Mm. And blagging is... Uh, 
Sort just, of just, I mean, I did cheat on a couple of exams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My English uh, literature exam, I had, you know, we, we had to study like Julius Caesar and a few other books like that. I'd written loads of like little mini essays in the back of the book, in the back pages, like real, like sort of succinct, mm. like, you know, and then basically what that's one of the questions that I'd, uh, I'd basically written an, an, an already an answer for came up in the GCSE. <laughs> so I just had the answer. Like I'd had this really well thought out, yeah. you know, idea, answer. That when the, so when the question came up, I don't know how I did it. I don't know. Like it was a total luck, but I just <laughs> wrote that out Great. from the back of my book. <laughs> but then I said, so but yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So my, my A-levels, I just picked, I picked art because I thought it'd be easy. Mm. And actually I was interested. Weirdly, I was, even though I was a bit of a little thief and a boozy little <laughs> drug taking weirdo i got quite into art and music and yeah you know, i was reading about I, I, I became a bit of a sort of self-taught time mm. i'd just go off you know i'd nip off. I'd nip, i used to bunk off school and go to like art galleries on my own really yeah so uh-huh. it's weird so i'd bunk off which is bad but i'd yeah. go and do something probably more productive than yeah. school <laughs> so, yeah it's interesting it's like knowing you now and knowing what you're into and it's kind of like the early signs of where you were headed with your, yeah i think yeah. i just i don't but i think my problem was i never liked being told what to do i didn't like school right. i didn't like being told to learn about a thing mm. i like i like learning about things myself um and so i think i had that independent streak mm. so yeah i sort of so i picked arts which i liked and thought that'd be an easy two years and it just flipping making some sculptures <laughs> and that <laughs> and um, and i was i did i was just for two years i was basically a sculptor i loved it <laughs> made some i made such pretentious pieces <laughs> of art in hindsight they were such like a 17 year old yeah. sculpture like i'm at once made they gave us a t- see the way it worked in our a level you get given a sort of topic and you have to explore it in whatever medium you want to explore <laughs> it in i remember one of them it's called volume slash void that was just that's all we got given <laughs> you had to explore the concept of volume slash void yeah. um in whatever medium you chose and i I was working in a bar at the time, so I quite a lot, for a seventeen-year-old. I had quite a lot of expendable income. You, you could work in a bar at seventeen. <laughs> illegal. I was working illegally in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, because I was sort of. I, I wasn't. I was doing some dodgy shifts behind the bar, but most mm. of the time I was sort of the. I'd pick up glasses and ah, okay. I was almost like a, you know, a helper. Yeah. But I did also. You, yeah, you're not allowed to work behind the bar before eighteen, mm. but I was doing some of that as well. Yeah. But I yes, yeah, so I was like I had quite a bit of spending money, so I spent loads of money to build this sculpture where <laughs> I bought about two hundred pounds worth of sheet metal, and I built this massive like t- ten foot diameter metal dome. It was like half a sort of Death Star type thing, <laughs> and I'd cut out a quarter of it, and inside I'd spray painted it completely black, so you had to get you got in it. <laughs> And that was my exploration of volume void. And how did you get marked? Well, they really liked it. Actually, I got I got very high marks for the actual final pieces, mm. but I never did any backup. You were meant to also part of the course was you had to like do all your sketches and ah, your yeah. you had to explain it. And mm. I never did that because I said, and I would always say to them because it doesn't need explaining. <laughs> I said, this is the piece. This this <laughs> explains everything. You've given me a topic. This is the thing, and they didn't agree. You're true, because there is a curriculum and they've got a mark based against. Do you know where that is now? That piece of art? It's probably a skip, I reckon. Because right? <laughs> they said to me that when I, when I finished the, the two year course, there, uh, they said, "Do you want to come and collect your sculptures?" And I said, "I, oh, you can keep them." 
<laughs> I said that probably thinking out. Oh, they'd probably put it out in like yeah. the school grounds. Yeah, yeah. So this was one of Carl Donnelly's early pieces. <laughs> so that whole thing about you know not liking people telling you what to do. Um, I, I guess I was kind of similar. So uh, is that you know stand up is obviously something where you're independent and it's all up to you. Is that what so. drew you to stand up? I think yeah, I think it was because I'd never, I was never a fan of not a fan, but I didn't know anything about stand up. Mm. I wasn't one of them, you know. A lot of, I know some comics that grew up wanting to be stand ups used to watch it mm. religiously. I just didn't. I didn't really have any knowledge or just wasn't something that was on my radar. But I, after college, I went to I went to university for three months just because I got in. Like, I got into one. I thought I might as well go. Mm. I applied to a few. Art, sculpture, was uh, it? Film production. Oh. I thought that, by, by the time I was about 18, I thought I like films. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to do a course where I can just talk about films for a few <laughs> years. And I went and I hated university so much. It was not, wasn't a very good uni either because I'd not done enough work mm. to get into a good one. Um, I'd, again, I sort of blagged it. And I went to this one. And with, I reckon on day one, I met all the people on the course and I was like, I'm not lasting here. <laughs> Film students are some of the worst people you've ever yeah. met. <laughs> well, it's unreal. Like, you know, I was, I was a pretentious bloody sculptor. <laughs> and even I was like, these like are assholes. <laughs> so I only lasted a couple of months there. And then I quit. Um, didn't tell the uni I quit for a year so I could keep my student loan going, <laughs> which that was one of my finest moments of <laughs> financial planning. So I'd get this check at the start of each term. And at the end of the year, I got a call saying, you didn't shut up to any... <laughs> any exam any anything you didn't submit any work and i was like i, I left <laughs> i left nine months ago sorry i forgot to mention it <laughs> so they took me off the course and then i just got proper jobs so i went out and started just getting jobs yeah so i did loads of bar work then i did work for an interior design company mm. and then through that i started doing accounts in the interior design company so i was quite good at maths that was like one of the weird i was always a bit sort of i don't know almost autistic with maths. I was yeah. really good at, with numbers. Right. So that, that, maths was always my easiest like class at school. I just mm. ate, ate it without even really trying. Yeah. I don't know why. But so I just started sort of sneakily getting in there and I, got, I was good at that. And then they sort of, I gave me a job in their accounts department. Then I actually got a job at a media company in the city in London in their management accounts team. Just like, it was weird. I, was, I started, suddenly just went from, in about a few years, I was like 21 I had quite a good job. Yeah. My parents were over the moon. Like, they thought like, you know, oh my God, Karen's an accountant. <laughs> you know I mean? It's the first person of the family to ever yeah. have like a job of that sort of, that sounds proper, doesn't it? Yeah. And then I just hated it though. By the time I got there, it was long hours. Mm. Pay was all right, but it was just, and it was on that path of like, you know, Monday I could Friday. have studied. Yeah, it was proper night. Well, yeah, it was night, it was nine to five, but yeah. it was often like, depending on how busy the period of the month was, sometimes it was long yeah late nights right yeah so so when, so when did stand up become an interest in about a year after i started there i think was it just going to a gig and you my yeah my ex was really interested she was a real stand-up fan she'd been to the mm. fringe and everything i didn't even know what the fringe was right and then she took me to, to a comedy club in south london a place called the banana cabaret <laughs> which is one of like the oldest clubs in London. Yeah. And I just, I sat there for the whole night loving it. Yeah. But also with that sort of thing of, I couldn't believe how much fun it looked. I remember I saw um, a guy called Addy van der Borg, who's still around and he's, yeah. he's brilliant. And he was, he just basically looked like a bloke who'd walked on stage and was just having a laugh. Yeah. 
you know, messing around and being silly and doing all weird faces. And like, everyone was losing it. I was laughing, but I was also thinking, this is, well, this is a thing you can do. You just get up and talk about whatever you want in front of people. So I just got interested in it then. And then, over, weirdly, my ex started telling me that she thought I should do it. Mm. Which I don't know why. She said, I've been, probably she was just very astute. And like, <laughs> she signed me up to a, a workshop for, for people that wanted to learn about stand up. Yeah. So she sort of, against my will, said, you should try this. And that was it. That was the moment I went to that and just we started talking about it. I was like, I like this. Yeah. And then yeah, we did a we had to do a showcase at the end of the sort of few weeks. And that was my first ever gig. And how'd it go? It, it went all right, you know. It wasn't it was you know, when you look back and you think my material when I was mm. new was crap. Did you just bring a couple of sculptures? sculptures yeah, just, just talk <laughs> just, <laughs> volume voice. <laughs> now I'll be exploring it in five minutes of fart jokes. <laughs> mm. But yeah, I just I just loved it. It's that thing I'd never ever performed in front of people. Mm. I hated like any public speaking. I, did, I did, used to not even like reading out in class. Yeah, yeah. But the moment I went on to do that, I was like, the moment I got on stage, I was like, oh, this doesn't feel weird. This mm. feels like quite natural and normal. It's quite addictive too, isn't it? So addictive. Mm. I mean, I was quite, I did that thing. I think a lot of, weirdly, a lot of mates of mine who ended up being like professional, going on to be like professional and decent comics. I had a very similar thing where the first two or three gigs were excellent. Mm. Like you, just, you know, you just had such a good gig, considering how new you were, that it shouldn't have happened that way. You know, what I mean, yeah. you're meant to be rubbish for quite a few years, really. Yeah. But we had like two or three excellent gigs. You're like, I am such a natural <laughs> at this. And then, like number three or four, you have such a death. Yeah. And it's the moment you go right. Oh, this is what it's like. Yeah. You know, what I mean, I, I, yeah, I might have a little natural sort of you know inkling for it yeah. but also i need i'm still rubbish and new yeah so that's sort of, i think that's sort of what's happened, happened to me and then i just knuckled down and started mm. working on it and just performing all the london clubs and yeah i was really lazy to- or not lazy is the wrong word i just didn't know how the circuit worked mm. again because even i didn't really have any background knowledge so for for the first year i bummed around doing like I was doing like a gig a month thinking I was absolutely nailing it. I was like, Bloody <laughs> hell, I've done, I've done 10 gigs this year. And it's only October. You know, that's what I, I just did. I thought that was sort because of, I didn't know about it being a proper job or anything. Yeah. So that year I was really like, I was going out, I was writing a new five and I'd go out and do it. And then it was like, I remember it was like quite late in the year. I think I did like a new act competition and I met somebody that I'd done like one of my first gigs with. And she said, like, how's it been going? And I said, oh, it's really good. And she goes, you've been gigging much? I was like, I've done like, I reckon I might have done like 12 gigs since we last saw each other. And she was like, I've done like 50. <laughs> and I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you just got to go out and do it three or four times a week. And she was the one that made me go like, oh, right. Yeah. To, yeah, to improve, you need to do it as often as you can. Mm. And then that was about 2006. And I just went, right, I'm doing this. Mm. And I just properly had like a year where I just pro- just went out. I was I was never at home. Yeah. Just working five days a week and gigging six nights a week or something. Excellent. Now, I've seen some photos of you from when you started. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, at a certain point, you can tell me how many years in you were when you did this, but you had, you had quite long hair, yeah. big glasses. You had a real particular look. And yeah. when you, I'm sure, look, if I showed, by all means, if you're listening to this, Google image carl donnelly <laughs> early days oh god and and it, it, it's hard to tell that it's you it's yeah. that it's so different so what made you uh change your sort of cut the hair off and well i think i just got comfortable being 
just with what I was doing on stage. Mm. I think that was quite an early sort of, you know, I wanted, I think I was trying to cover up a bit and, you know, cause I was, I was still, you know, I'm not, I wasn't the most natural performer or something. I was somebody who'd go on stage. And I could sort of, you know, engage with an audience, but I, I think I always just wanted to have a look mm. that was almost a little shield or, you know, sort of just hide behind. So yeah. I had big curly hair and I had big, like, I was a glass, wore glasses, but I bought like really big tinted glasses. <laughs> I looked insane. I looked like something from like that 70s yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just funny. I suppose it worked. You'd go on and people would just laugh mm. at how yeah. I looked. And that was, just, it was an easy intro. And, and yeah. also being able to then talk for a couple of minutes about how I looked was it was a f- easy it was a trick really i yeah. think I, I, in hindsight it was at the time i didn't think that was why i was doing it but then i, I reckon about five years in i was like what am i doing what, I, this, I still have to look like this the rest of the time <laughs> i look at photos of me at like flipping like my first wedding like i look at I'd, if i see like a picture of me on a wedding day i looked like that <laughs> to get married and i'm like you are an idiot mate <laughs> so yeah i finally just sort of thought you know what i think i'm funny enough Mm. I don't have to hide behind something. Yeah. So I cut my hair, got normal glasses. And actually that was the period I didn't like how I looked the most. Right. When I went through that that sort of middle ground of mm. I had short hair and I just had like normal black rim glasses. I looked like a flipping teacher or something. <laughs> Sculptor. Then, yeah. <laughs> but then finally, I got, I, I'd always wanted laser eye surgery and mm. I got that. And the moment I got rid of the glasses, I was like, finally, I just got my face yeah. to go on. And just and then I shaved my head. Yeah. So I just thought I want to just pare it right down. <laughs> I want to go from one extreme to the other. Yeah. I might, if I, I mean, if I might remove my ears or yeah. something next. To <laughs> just have just a pure orb. Yeah. <laughs> just, did, when you went from, did you notice? You know, because you couldn't hide behind that look anymore. Did, did you notice people that hadn't known you in the same crowds at, at regular gigs? reacted differently like was there well it's a weird one like because i because i do the fringe every year like people that come and see me every year here mm. definitely because they'd seen this transition like over <laughs> 10 days they, i mean yeah they a lot of them can't believe i, I also look like, i had it last night somebody came up to me after my show and um they said they'd been watching me every year since like 2009 when i did my first my yeah. debut hour and it's interesting the people that come every year are always quite invested because my stuff I talk about my life yeah yeah she came up and was just like I just want to say I'm really glad you're happy because <laughs> I talk in this one about getting married again yeah, yeah. just being in a good place <laughs> and she was really like you know a couple of years ago we were really worried about you <laughs> <laughs> and it was that thing of like yeah those people I think have just seen this yeah. change of big curly head yeah drunk and weirdo <laughs> going through marriages divorces yeah. depression yeah. and they've now seen me just a shaven headed normal happy guy yeah you know i think they're, they're, they're it's nice for them yes. and for me i yeah. mean my life is much happier and now i sort of function much better you're listening to taking it easy with daniel connell hey before we go back to the podcast i want to tell you about someone That someone is Melbourne-based photographer Nicole Reid. One of the most sought-after photographers going around, Nicole has taken photos for all sorts of people. Comedians like Peter Hellyer and Anne Edmonds, musical acts like the Hilltop Hoods, and sports stars like Buddy Franklin. If you want to see how great her work is, I suggest you head over to her Instagram page. It's Nicole Reid Photographer. While you're at it, you may as well jump on her website, which is www.nicolereid.photography. 
get in contact and book in a shoot today. Now, let's get back to the podcast. Um, was it around the time of the your makeover that you uh, also became you know, made another big decision in your life, became a vegan? I did, yeah. So was it around that time as well? How long have you been it would have a been, vegan actually. for? I've been vegan for five and a half years. Yeah. And that came from, yeah, there was a period when I was basically going through a break up or break that a relationship was breaking down mm. and I was definitely starting to look at my life in general and I started you know doing I started messing around with certain things and mm. started reading about spiritual stuff and yeah. you know, it's a natural thing when you're when you're looking for answers you start sort of desperately clutching onto things don't yeah. you? so I started um yeah I was and I also started trying I tried some uh weird sort of alternative therapies is a good way of describing them so i'd read about a thing called ayahuasca which is a hallucinogenic tea that people go off to peru and drink with shamans it's meant to give them like it makes makes them look at their life and their problems and there's one called dmt which is quite it's becoming quite trendy now Mm. sort of it's a weird like that's a quick thing isn't it yeah so basically i did these weird ceremony things and just i was also starting to get into things like meditation and Mm. And yeah, it was all this perfect storm of yeah. my life falling apart and me trying yeah. out all these crazy things, looking for answers. So, and, you, and so you just snapped, and yeah. I went, I went vegan overnight <laughs> in at the start of 2013, early 2013. Yeah, and it was just that moment of like something just shifted while I was doing all this stuff, and I just couldn't. Mm. I felt I physically felt like I couldn't eat meat or dairy. Like it wasn't even a, a mental or intellectual thing. There was this moment where I just looked at it and I was like oh, I can't put that in, in me anymore it makes me feel sick <laughs> so was it after taking ayahuasca or the it was, I'd, no, I'd say it was DMT that did me did, <laughs> did the vegan thing ayahuasca is much more personal but I found with ayahuasca it took me inside myself and made me look at my sort of childhood fa- yeah. background and all that why I sort of felt like I'd become the person I was so, so you'd had a a marriage breakdown your first yeah. marriage the, the late, was that the lady that got you into stand up comedy yeah so you had the marriage breakdown and then you so you went to Peru no so I did I've done I've done ayahuasca twice both times in London because because <laughs> it's that thing you, it started out of the Amazon yeah. it was an Amazonian medicine that's so been is it used a root? for thousands of years it's a root I think basically you have a root of a tree mm. and there's uh, some vines of another tree or it might even be the same tree the root and vines but they're two different things and once they're cooked together they become very potent mm. and it is a mind altering drug essentially but it's a naturally occurring one mm. and yeah, it's been used for thousands of years by you know very other types of it as well there's ones in there's one from like Africa called Iboga. So I think it's maybe, I can't remember what part of Africa it is, maybe like Nigeria or somewhere. Mm. Iboga is another sort of uh, root that is has the same properties. There's like peyote, which is the Native American one. Mm-hmm. There's all these old, you know, sort of mind-altering, natural mm. things that have been used. So and you I thought, was, this, this, will, this will fix me? This well, me I just, I'd read a couple of books about it and I'd watch a documentary. That's what happens <laughs> nowadays, isn't it? You watch a documentary about something, the next thing you're off doing it. So I blame Netflix for the rise and all this hippie <laughs> shit. <laughs> but veganism, Netflix is one of the reasons veganism's yeah. on the rise because there's loads of vegan documentaries. Sounds like DMT as well, by the same I know. Way. But yeah, so I basically thought, I, I think I was just, I was trying to do the normal channels, you know, I was, I was in therapy and I was on antidepressants. I was doing all the normal stuff you should do when you're suffering from any issues. 
but I also, for some reason, something was drawing me towards those. So when I try, and I actually, I wouldn't encourage people really to do them. I think you should always go down the normal channels. But for me, mm. I know people that have tried it and got nothing out of it. Yeah. I actually had a couple of very big experiences on them that helped me sort of kick on and get on and move and move forward and mm. sort my life out. And like, and yeah, one of them weirdly, veganism was like a side effect of those. Mm. So where, where in London did you have this? The, um, the ayahuasca that set the well, the one that the best one I went to a, <laughs> a treat. Like it wasn't. I mean, it's basically this guy has been training as a shaman <laughs> uh, in the Peru area for years, and now he started doing them in London and in southeast <laughs> London. In a, well, it's a place called Plumstead. It's a big mm. area, so I'm not letting the police know its address <laughs> or anything. You know, there was basically this place was a, a very well uh, sort of landscaped garden with like a ceremonial bit down the end like a big stone circle fire and mm. we you know, we slept under the stars and all that. it was really amazing <laughs> and you just drink it like a tea yeah so it's a it's, a, it's technically a, a couple a tea. of bickies or just straight down <laughs> a little little cup as well you drink a little bit and then about an hour later you are in a right old state <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you drink again you have to basically drink every hour and you just force yourself back into it right it's really brutal and what was your reaction to it ah oh, i went, Do you what, remember the time? i remember lots of it mm. um i apparently the shaman said i set the record for the most anyone's ever vomited <laughs> which is good you're meant to vomit as well oh, okay. it's called pur- they call it purging yeah because it's meant to be it but it's, it's basically meant to go in you yeah you get taken to an altered state and you have loads of visions and it's this is actually what happened like yeah. i had visions of my childhood that i definitely had not i thought it would gone i've got really bad memory of like my early childhood like shoplifting well no before that oh, right. before my crim days <laughs> <laughs> yeah my actual early childhood like zero obviously you don't remember zero to yeah. three whatever um, but like three to ten, yeah, I've hardly got any memories at all. I feel like something bad happened. <laughs> <laughs> I've just gone right. Let's just block all that out. But actually, it's not the, the case at all. I got I got taken on all this little this tour of loads of memories of my early childhood. Oh, wow. Just showed me loads of moments, like sort of eternal sunshine style, like where I sort of went walking through them. Yeah. And then, but the thing is, you have it. The way it works is so weird. It's like you have a vision or a memory, whatever, and then you come out of it and you come back to where you are and you're sitting by a campfire, and then you um, basically vomit. So you, oh. it's almost, you they call it purging. So it's meant to be um, purging all the negative yeah. stuff. So yeah, so I, I, I purged a lot that night. <laughs> Did a lot of crying. Yeah, a lot of fetal position, rocking back and forth. Right. It's, re- it's really. Did you feel it, incredibly hungry when you came to? Or um, no, I wasn't. The next day, so basically, we probably drank. What's that? Beeps. Some reversing. That is, yeah. Reversing over those quiet <laughs> fingers. Crossed. That's why they gone quiet. <laughs> um, I reckon we drank about. We drank a sunset, so it's probably eight p.m. And then maybe 9 p.m. And then we went right through to like probably, I reckon I was probably in the clear about four. was when <laughs> I remember being back in the game and being like, right, I'm, I can have a conversation again now. Yeah. And then I think I slept, I only slept for about three hours. It's about seven. And I woke up and I was the first one awake. And I just walked down the garden to this little, there was a little sort of set of chairs. I just sat with the sun sort of on me and it felt like, I, I felt like I'd slept for 10 hours. Yeah. I felt so clear and like, like yeah, I felt like I sort of got a lot of rubbish out of me, wow. and it was great. That next day, I felt euphoric for probably about a week after. I felt really like 
sort of just energized. Mm. That's amazing. It is, but it's. I mean, it's not that it doesn't happen for everyone. It's the thing, mm. like, and again, it's it's obviously it's a mind altering substance that could all be utter nonsense. You know I mean, it could be. <laughs> It's just like taking bloody any acid or LSD, you know, and something that just yeah. induces this state, and it's all of your own doing. Do you know mm. what I mean? It's just happened that this thing has just messed your head up a bit. Yeah. But everyone had a different experience around the campfire. Like I had, I had the most extreme in terms of like childhood yeah. regression type thing. One of the guys just went into this amazing like relaxed state, and he meditated for about seven hours, like just sat in the lotus position, mm. which is like a, you know how you yeah. sit at the sort of official meditating seat legs position crossed. yeah legs crossed sort of hands cupped and he sat seven there hours. for seven hours and but but every about it was quite funny actually i remember spotting it a couple of times about once an hour he'd just open his eyes and just vomit in a bucket and then go back <laughs> into the lotus so he obviously like was he but he just he said he just went into this proper like zen state god and yeah one of the other guys one of the other guys danced for ages like he just got up and started <laughs> dancing on his own just around the campfire so like you know and I'd, I'd just I'd come out of my weird hypnotic vision state and I'd look up and see him dancing it's quite nice it was almost like alright I get he's it's nice that he's going through that yeah. so it's good to know that everyone's in my state of it'd be so great if there was a, like a next door neighbour had a CCTV <laughs> camera on the side of their building and just, <laughs> what the fuck well exactly it's normally it's like if you're complaining it's about your neighbours having a party or something <laughs> Can you just turn all that crying down and screaming? <laughs> Stop vomiting. <isn't> it? <laughs> so, so then the DMT before the vegan uh, yeah. incident. What, what what happened there? Well, that one just the DMT is so different to ayahuasca, even though mm. it's technically the same ingredient. Mm. And it was just somebody gave it to me and said, "You should try this." It's you know, if you, it, it's. Just an absolute stranger. Yeah, it's just kind of a bust. It's weird. I shouldn't have taken it, really. <laughs> no, it was a friend of mine who was into that stuff. Yeah. You know, it's into all this, you know, spiritual mm. thing, these spiritual things. And I, he, like, oh, yeah, he knew what was going on in my life. And I'd started to, you know, sniff around these experiences. And he said, this is the one you need to try. It's the one that, like, just, it's almost like an out-of-body experience. Mm. And I did it. And it was absolutely like an out-of-body experience. It felt like I'd sort of been removed and just taken to somewhere else. Right. Like gone. I was absolutely gone uh, for ages. I felt like I'd been gone. from When I came back to my body, that's what it felt like, (laughs) um, I'd been gone for about 10 minutes. But it felt like I'd been gone for, I mean, weeks is an understatement. Wow. I checked. I was checking to see if I had a beard. (laughs) Like that's how long it felt like I'd been gone. And it just felt like when I, I, it just sort of something clicked inside me, and it felt like I'd sort of it's such a hippie thing, and I, I feel I, this is a thing I'm cynical, but I also feel like it as well. So I'm sort of like, sometimes I find myself like going like you know actually I felt really connected to all living <laughs> things, and that's what absolutely happened. Yeah, it felt like I'd suddenly been taken out and I'd had a little look from above and gone like right everything you're all connected, mate. You know it, whether or not that's in a scientific quantum mechanic sense or yeah. spiritual whatever just you know you're linked to everything on on earth and in the universe that's not a spiritual theory that's a thing right but it suddenly made me feel that rather than just be aware of it <laughs> and that meant next time i tried to eat meat i couldn't because i was mm-hmm. like well that's i know what that is yeah. you know i mean I, I couldn't just see the lump of meat anymore it felt like i could, I could see the backstory to it yeah yeah and the moment that happened that was I was out. I had to tap out mm. of me. And was that. it 
Um, I imagine vegan, like vegetarian, obviously is hard, but vegan's that next level. But it's, I'm trying it's to find if you're begrudgingly doing it. Yeah. If, you, if you have to do it, like I, f- I physically can't go mm. near meat or anything like. Yeah, you know I mean, I look at it in a supermarket and I just look and I just can't, you know, put it down in trousers. Yeah, <laughs> take it out, lift it. I'd sell it in markets <laughs> just to make a few extra quid. But um, no, I just can't. I can't go near it. I look at it and I'm like, I can just see this sort of wall of, you know. Yeah. things that were Chaos. walking around yeah <laughs> yeah and i'm like i can't i can't even i can't even fathom how i used to eat it and mm. it's weird i'm not i'm not sitting there judging anyone picking it up either i'm not sort of uh you know I, that's what they do and I, mm. but for me it's just I, I can't get around the fact that they were probably knocking around a field mm. five days ago <laughs> it's weird so i can't yeah so i can't sort of just i can't justify yeah. that to myself have you noticed since so five years you've been vegan? Yeah. Have you noticed? Because I've certainly noticed. Just options for vegan food seem to oh, be massive, fantastic now compared to. Well, you brought me a vegan cake. <laughs> so you know, you've got me and a soy latte. You yeah. got me a coffee. <laughs> How did you feel ordering that? That was fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. got a few weird looks. Yeah, they tried to attack me, but. <laughs> but you know, it's everywhere now. I mean, obviously, you live in Melbourne. Melbourne mm. is one of the best vegan cities in the world. Right. When I was there this year, you go to flipping Fitzroy. Now that Brunswick Street, mm. and that is, you might as well call it flipping vegan street. It's like every <laughs> restaurant is vegan. Yeah. So you know, I think it's just it's growing and growing and growing, and I think it's getting to a point now where it's it's mainstream, isn't it? Mm. So every supermarket's got a vegan section, and I think it's, it's like, give it a couple of years, it's going to be even more. Mm. You know, guys, we're taking over, is what I'm saying. So <laughs> you want to start stockpiling your meat in your freezers because <laughs> it won't be available soon. <laughs> Um, yeah, we we talked about how you had already had a bit of experience in marriage, in the marriage game. Um, <laughs> you got married for the second time this year yes. in Australia to a lovely Australian, yeah. Hannah. Lovely yeah. Hannah. Um, is it most Englishmen, so they sort of have that dream to marry an Australian lady? So That's they quite, have that. Um, I think there's something. A bit of that dual citizenship. And yeah, I mean, there is that. <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking retirement. Yeah. Yeah. I want to be retiring to the Mornington Peninsula, <laughs> uh, but I, there's a there's a there's an old sort of uh, running joke about um, the Melbourne Comedy Festival about British and Irish comedians coming <laughs> over and finding a wife. <laughs> often when they've already got a wife, <laughs> but um, I think there is something exciting, isn't there, about meeting somebody from the other side of the world mm, yeah you know like we met originally in Adelaide and became friends before we were ever together yeah and just it was exciting just you know just we were like we met in like the um we got interested we had we had loads of mutual friends but we'd never met each other yeah. and then a friend of mine said oh you two should I think you two should meet I think you'd get really get on you were divorced at this point no I was still married at this oh. point so this was all above board yeah. like there's nothing like, <laughs> sorry I don't know why I said that <laughs> <laughs> who are you my fucking lawyer um <laughs> <laughs> but um, we got introduced in the Adelaide what's that artist bar the fringe artist bar yeah there. it's like the sort of fringe club it's called yeah and basically yeah after the Adelaide fringe all the shows finish just all the performers go there and it's a lovely outdoor courtyard it's all lovely there's loads of fairy lights it's all a bit weird and magical <laughs> and we just got introduced to each other and we just had this absolute almost whirlwind friendship because mm. like, neither you know I think I was still in a relationship. She was, I mean, I was that relationship I was in was, was on the skids, mm. you know, it was properly nearing the end of its tenure, <laughs> but it was, but I didn't do nothing happened. And she, mm. I think she'd just come out of a relationship as well. 
but we just had this sort of like instant bond mm. and it was weird it was almost like a romance without the romance it was obviously <laughs> something there but we both were aware we could nothing could happen yeah so we just became friends really good friends and we like then at the end of the festival we only known each other about five days we just sort of had, had planted this seed i reckon that mm. was later to become something else but it so, was exciting meeting somebody that, like in adelaide who just you just yeah. instantly connect with so then you had the ayahuasca experience in the in the divorce and everything and divorce, then we had the, the, the divorce i was i was back in london then i got into another relationship i was then yeah, i was messing around with some of those things then as well and then well then what happened yeah probably i actually didn't do the i i did i what the final ayahuasca i got the most out of it was about almost two years ago now so me and hannah were together then okay that was my sort of like signing off from all this stuff <laughs> it, well, no, it was it was a sort of it felt like i'd done everything i'd led up to that point yeah I, I I was moving on. I met, met the person that I thought oh, this is actually for the rest of my life. Yeah, and then, but I still had a few little demons that needed mm. exercising. Yeah, how did you uh, acquire the wedding ring? The wedding ring? Yeah. Why? You didn't lift it. From oh, does still the <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I've actually got my wedding ring is a uh, from an Irish uh, red deer. They, they shed their antlers, and uh, and this there's a guy who turns them into a ring. Yeah, oh yeah, no, uh, I ripped it off. Of, uh, yeah, it's not the most vegan thing I've vegan. done, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's alright. He survived. Just looked a bit bruised and battered. Uh, no, they say shed their antlers, and this yeah. guy turns them into jewelry. That's great. So it's made out of a of a, an antlers deer, a, a deer's antler. That's lovely. It's what a lovely story. Mm. Just I don't know what it is. It's sort of bone, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, it's, it's, I think it's the same as your fingernails. It's, yeah, it? so yeah. It's, it's actually quite gross. Has yeah. <laughs> <laughs> turned a sick colour. Yeah, no, that's the colour it is already. It's yeah. interesting. But um, yeah, so we'd sort of, Hannah knew all my past history. And, mm. you know, I think I'd always had loads of, I'd always still, I kept a lot of stuff from my child and my parents. You know, my parents are the most natural parents on earth. Mm. They're quite sort of uh, emotionally. I think, you know, Irish working class people aren't exactly known for being the most emotionally <laughs> able. So we, I just, I think when I, I, I still had some stuff I hadn't sort of probably dealt with. So then Hannah was very supportive of me mm. going off and drinking a hallucinogenic tea <laughs> in the woods, apparently. That's what she's been. That's a good sign. <laughs> That's a good sign. So yeah, I went off and did that. And then um, that was it. And then we were, we were, we were on. Great. Yeah. It's lovely. It seems like now you, you seem very all together, and mm. you seem one of the. You're definitely one of the most calm people I've met. I, I think I've become that. Yeah, yeah. I think that all that, that all that stuff. You know, I probably could have done it through the normal channels if I'd <laughs> stuck with it. But I think I needed a little bit of a kick. Yeah, up the ass. Yeah. So I, yeah, I did all these, and actually now, you know, I used to sort of have loads of anxiety. No, I used to have to be medicated now and again for like my mm. d- depression and anxiety and stuff. And I've not had anything for about. Four years, three and a half years. Excellent. Totally clean. Awesome. Shoplifting is on the back burner. <laughs> For now. I can sleep. You know, yeah. I'm actually now, I reckon I've sort of, I mean, you can't say anything's forever, but I feel like I've sort of fixed most of my little recurring issues. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure, you know, something will rear its head at some yeah. point. I'll have a little, I'll have a little blowout. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all your experiences uh, you've talked a lot about in your shows yeah, that yeah. you've brought to Edinburgh. You've twice been nominated for Best Comedy 
At Edinburgh Fringe. Well, one newcomer, one main award. One newcomer, so, one. Yeah. yeah. Newcomer pretty... doesn't really. I mean, newcomer's lovely, but mm. I sort of, in hindsight, it's that thing, you know, it's a, it's a lovely thing to be nominated. Like, the, mm. we got a, you've got a Barry in Melbourne, haven't you? The Barry, yeah. And yeah. then what's the newcomer? It like, it's just called Best Newcomer. Uh, best yeah. New. Yeah. So, like, it's always that thing of, like, I, I yeah, I, I love, it's such an honour to be even mentioning because out of all the thousands and thousands of shows that mm. are on, to get picked in, like, the top group of, like, eight or something mm. as one of the best ones. But with newcomer, what you work out in hindsight is the pool that they're looking at is much smaller, obviously. Yeah. You know, every year there's probably in comedy, there's probably what 50 newcomer or maybe 100 newcomer mm. shows. And actually, a lot of them are crap, <laughs> you know. So there's probably 30 or 40 that are good, yeah. And then, you know, so actually, suddenly when you look at the odds, you're like, oh, actually, I've just got to be one of the good ones, <laughs> and I'm in with a shout of getting on that list, yeah. So it's, it's such an honor at the time. I remember, I remember it blew my mind because yeah. I had no idea I was up for nominated i mean i didn't know who any of the judges were or mm. i didn't know they were coming in i've always been one of these people that doesn't like to know who's in the show i just like to know there's an audience there yeah i don't want to know if there's somebody from bloody tv or somebody from an awards panel i just like to just i don't i tell my agents don't tell me anything yeah i'll know if it goes well but based mm. on how the room reacts so i spent a whole month just having a laugh and enjoying myself and then getting nominated it was amazing but then, yeah, when you actually move down, getting the main award nomination is the one that really yeah. felt good. That was like in 2013. Because that was the one where you suddenly like, right, I'm no longer just up against like maybe 20 or 30 really kind of the good newcomers. I'm up against like, you're technically probably up against about 700 yeah. comedy shows. So to get in that little list of eight, then you're like, right, the odds there is hard. Mm. You know, Did you what? notice a, quite a spike in just your career in general after that? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all the critical acclaim in the world is lovely, but it doesn't help really. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I think you've got for to, posters and things. Yeah, it just gives you a little, like, it helps your rep, I think. Mm. But, you know, things like career, it depends what, you th what people think about as career. I'm not very career-minded or, you know, I don't really have designs on a lot of telly and that. I've done a couple mm. of things on telly over the years and, I don't think it's my natural forte. Mm. I like I prefer live stuff. Yeah. I prefer being in a room with people. So actually, you know, I think some people get like a nomination or win the award. And for them, they're, they're at that point in their career when their next step would be, I want to do this on TV or this. Mm. And it can help that. But if you actually get nominated or win and you're, you've got no designs on that, it doesn't, all it really helps is sort of probably your Edinburgh profile. It helps people go, oh, yeah, that's the guy I've, mm. who did well last year or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, it gives you a bit of kudos. But I don't think, you know, it depends on what you want out of your career. It can or it can help or it can not really do much. Yeah. There's comics who have won it in the past that, you know, hardly anyone knows. Yeah. You go through the list and there's loads that sort of have won it, even in the last 10 years. And actually, no, nothing's ever really kicked on much for them in terms of the bigger picture, what people would say. Yeah. So you've been coming here for 10 years. Do you 12 in total. 12, 10 solo shows. 10 solo, yeah. right. Do you find, like I've come over from Australia for the first time this year, uh, is the repetition the key to Edinburgh Fringe? Coming back and building yeah, I think that? So, yeah, no, it doesn't have to be. I think, you, I think that's a bit of a myth. I like... For me, I don't come up here year on year because I think, well, if I don't, people will forget about me. Mm. I love coming up here. I love writing a show and I don't think, and I don't know what else I do in August. Do you know what I mean? It's not, I've got nothing better to do for a yeah. month in August and come to a festival that I love. 
yeah, it's the biggest arts festival in the world. I, go, I like to go and watch loads of weird things as well that you can't see mm. most of the year. You know, because I'm out gigging so often. Yeah. It's not like I can then just go and see loads of weird theatre. And yeah. I went to see a contemporary dance show two days ago. <laughs> when am I going to do that the rest of the year? <laughs> it was brilliant. But yeah. I, I was watching it thinking, if I'd have watched this... 10 years ago I would have <laughs> I would have hated it <laughs> I would have been sitting there going this is shit <laughs> but I loved it I was, it was such a nice break from yeah. you know being surrounded by comedy all the time to go and watch mm. just three very limber women <laughs> to interpret a, sort of a Greek tragedy through yeah. as they call it wordless theatre <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing this this whole festival for yeah. that that the, just the the feeling around the whole place is yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a, we have the big festivals in Australia, uh, and they're all great. But this one, I, I don't know because it's been going so long, or yeah, yeah. so many people come here from London and yeah, the surrounding areas just to come, and they're willing to take a punt on totally. things. They're willing just to never heard of you. They'll have a chat about your show when you're flying. It's yeah, just yeah. a, it's just a whole different beast here. It's just yeah. A, it's an institution, like everyone knows it mm. as you know. Yeah, it's just the fringe. It's like a, it's a part of British culture. I think that is. I mean, it's massive. It's grown, obviously, so big. Yeah, but it's amazing how big it's grown because in how small a city Edinburgh is as well. Mm. It's really contained and like non-stop. That's why it feels so. The energy feels so like constant because it's so much going on in such a small like, area. Mm. You can never like. You can't really. Once you're in it, you're in it. You can't escape. Excellent. Well, that really brings us to the end, mate. Um, what's next for you? Do you just keep plugging away? Do you think you're coming to Melbourne next year for the comedy festival? Maybe. Yep. Yeah. I had an interest in Melbourne this year. I didn't mm. like it at the start, and then I really liked it at the end. Yeah. Which was nice. So yeah, I think it's yeah. I like. I do like. I like. I like doing Melbourne. I like. It's a nice place. Maybe I'm top, contemplating Adelaide. Yeah. Just I've not been for a few years, so I might do something there. Nice. Yeah, See what might do a contemporary dance <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm going to retell a Cold. Greek tragedy with my body. What was it? Volume slash volume void. Call it volume. Maybe I call my show Volume Void next year, <laughs> and it will be go and find that exact sculpture. Oh god, I'll, I'll recreate it. Yeah, yeah, I reckon they definitely melt it. Like they probably, I mean, it would have got a lot of money for scrap. I would love if it's just somewhere in someone's garage. Just <laughs> one of my old teachers. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to. I'd, I made some. Like, my sculptures were always really big. I imagine they really hated it when I said you can keep it. <laughs> Groundskeeper trying to get rid of it. Yeah. Maybe. Well, do you want to plug anything before we wrap it up, mate? You got a few. Pl- I'll few- tell you what. But if you, um, um, I do two podcasts. Mm. One's just called the Carl and Chris podcast, but the other one's mm. called Babysitting Trevor, mm. which I think people might enjoy. It's yeah. with an Australian comedian called Trevor Crook, yeah. who is a bit of an old. Aussie legend, really, yeah. and he's a bit of a sort of, you know, cult yeah. Wild West figure <laughs> who walks around with his moustache. <laughs> but Trev lives in London half the year, and um, we, I'm sort of I've been good friends with him for a while. But he's the laziest <laughs> man I know. He's a, all he does is sit in his pants watching cricket all the time. <laughs> so we've got this podcast called Babysitting Trevor, where we ba- we've tried to get him off the sofa essentially. So we yeah. challenge him each week to do. A, ta- a sort of task that would help him become a modern man rather than this old, slightly misogynistic <laughs> old dinosaur that he is. Um, so we like took him to yoga and we took him to a life drawing class, which was yeah. really fun. So we got there's, there's three seasons online available now. There's six episodes. The life drawing one, I think, is one of the best ones of all of all eighteen yeah. episodes <laughs> because we genuinely didn't know. Like we found this life drawing class, we thought it'd be perfect. He's a bit of an old perv as well. <laughs> 
it's called the London London Strippers Collective, and it's what strippers basically life drawing models as well. So you go to this cool bar in East London. There's a pole, mm. and then the, the strippers obviously can do quite amazing things with their body. They can hold poses that a normal life drawing model couldn't. So you can draw them while they're just in these crazy sort of shapes. Mm. But the day we went was the first time ever they had a male model. <laughs> and he was a really like muscular, big black guy. Yeah. Um, and the moment Trev saw it was just a bloke, it's just, it's, it ruined his night. <laughs> he'd really, he'd actually got really excited about basically drawing a naked woman. Yeah. And then this guy walked in with his massive willy. <laughs> and me and Joel, the producer, were crying with laughter just like, watching Trev trying to, Trev's drawings like, he just kept not drawing the dick. Like he'd draw everything else and he'd just sort of just leave that. And he was like, I just didn't look at it. He's like, what do you mean you didn't look at it? You were looking at the man. He was naked. He goes, no, I just sort of blurred my eyes around that thing. So things like that. It's like every week we have like an experience and we just get Trev's response to it. So I think it's really fun doing cool. it. We just get to listen to Trev be weird. Great. Well, check that out. And you're also on your Instagram and Twitter and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I need to do Carl more Donnelly. of that stuff. I don't, yeah, yeah, Carl Donnelly. But I, I try and sometimes put funny things. Mm. You're very good at watermelon eating, obviously. I need to, yeah, I need to bring that back. <laughs> it's one of my weird skills. <laughs> Great, mate. Well, thanks very much for taking it easy with me. No today. worries, mate. It's been nice. Great. Hey, thanks for listening. As Carl said there, you can get around him on Instagram and Twitter. He's at Carl Donnelly, C-A-R-L-D-O-N-N-E-L-L-Y. Uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends. Uh, they can subscribe on iTunes at Taking It Easy with Daniel Connell. And uh, if they don't have iTunes, they can head to my website, danielconnell.com.au, and check out the podcast section there. It's got all the previous episodes. Uh, you can listen away to your heart's content. Uh, while you're there, you can check out my gigs page for all upcoming live stand-up shows. And, uh, yeah, check out whatever else you'd like to on the page. Uh, you can also check out my Instagram and Twitter. It's all Daniel Connell Comedy. Uh, and I've got a Facebook page as well, which is Daniel Connell Comedy. Give that a like if you get a chance. Uh, apart from that, thank you very much for listening and take it easy. See you later.